A police box that was not a police box hurtled through time and space. In the impossibly large, maddeningly colourful control room of the TARDIS, the Doctor flapped around the console, working levers and switches. Lost it! I've completely lost it! Come along, Doctor, honestly. He hurried to a keyboard and hammered at the keys. Maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, you said it wasn't a distress signal. Kazran Sardik was the Doctor's latest companion, an earnest young man from the planet Ember, who joined the TARDIS once a year at Christmas. The Doctor gave him a sad smile. It wasn't a signal like from a radio, but we picked up something in distress. You mean an alien, like those green ones, the draconians? Draconians, excuse me. Yes, alien-like draconians, but no, alien-like something else. Something the TARDIS can translate. But you saw how she responded. Dragged us right off course. Until you tried to help and lost the signal. If the TARDIS can't translate it, I mean, it isn't a language. How do you know it's in distress? The sound horrified Kazran. But the doctor beamed. That is a cry for help. I've got a lock. That's it, you clever thing. You go where you have to. As the TARDIS materialized, the Doctor bounded down the stairs to the door, but he stopped with his hand on the latch and turned back to Kazran. Come on, then. If it's in distress, something is distressing it. Well, yes. So whatever's out there is alien and dangerous. Help is what we do. I thought you'd learned that by now. We'll just have to be careful. He checked his shirt cuffs, straightened his bow tie and opened the door, onto greenish light beyond. Be careful is my middle nerve! Doctor? Doctor! He raced after his friend, through the TARDIS doors and out into... <laughs> They'd landed high up in the branches of a tree. A vast, enormous tree, its gnarled bark covered in soft green moss, like fur. Thick branches tangled round, but none directly under Kazran. So he fell, head first, down and down, into the darkness below. Kazran opened his eyes. Dark green shapes danced in front of him, and he tried to brush them away. Oh, ow! Moving his arm made him double up in pain. He hugged his tender chest and looked carefully around. Kazran found himself on a wide branch, the moss thick like a mattress underneath him. The green shapes he'd seen were the branches and leaves high overhead, where there was more light. There was a pungent, mouldy stench. He sniffed the moss he was sitting on. It was deep and springy and had saved his life, but it also stank. Then, beside him, he saw a pair of stylish leather boots, discarded along with some stripy socks and tweed jacket. Uh, Doctor? Doctor! It took a moment to spy the Doctor above him, half hidden by foliage. Oh, he's awake then. It didn't help that the Doctor was covered in green muck. His face, his shirt, his trousers, his bare hands and feet. Kazran raised a hand to wave and again winced in pain. Oh, oh I, I think I've broken a rib. 
Only bruised. I checked whilst you were dozing, though you might notice a little discomfort. Well, you reckon? Best thing is to stretch. A bit of exercise. You mean you want me to climb up there after you? No, I was suggesting it for your own good. How far did we fall? Well, I can't see the TARDIS, so it must be a fair distance. But we weren't killed, so not too far. That's not very helpful. Nor was falling on top of me. Sorry, although you'd already fallen out of the TARDIS. I didn't fall, I, I sort of plunged. But never mind, we'll climb back up to the TARDIS and have a proper look at your injury. Right. Come on then, we'll find it easier without your socks and shoes. <sighs> yes, all right. Sooner rather than later. Doctor, are you in trouble up there? Me? No, 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 no. Sort of, yes. The doctor clung on tight to the steeply angled branch, using both legs and one arm. Kazran, venturing slowly up the same branch, could now see that the doctor's other arm, up to the bicep, was buried in an enormous sticky pod. The doctor grinned sheepishly. Yes, this. Interesting, isn't it? The geometric pattern on the casing is unusual. I couldn't resist having a closer look. Oh, it moves. Now and then, to swallow more of my arm. Then I suppose it'll try to digest me, won't you, you clever thing? How do I get you out of it? I can't think of everything but get a shift on. Either my hand is numb where it's squeezing or my fingers are already breakfast. Hold on then. Kazran clambered round him. It wasn't easy or dignified. Mind where you put your all of you. At last Kazran got round him and shuffled along for a better look at the pod. It had a thick leathery surface of greenish brown. When Kazran pushed against it with his fingers, the surface didn't yield. It was like solid wood. The mouth that had swallowed the doctor's arm was closed tight around the fabric of his shirt with long, sticky hairs. Kazran was careful not to get too close. The doctor was impatient. You're in the way so I can't see. If, if we had something to jimmy it open. Yeah. Oh, I've actually. He broke a slender branch from the trunk. Oh, it stinks probably keeps insects from tucking in, or attracts them. One of those. I think I can use this to... <laughs> With effort, he wedged the end of the branch into the mouth of the pod, pushing it down alongside the doctor's arm. Ow! Uh, that's it, I, I can feel it loosening. And it was. Kazran put his shoulder into bending back the branch, and it gradually forced the pod open. A bit more, a bit more. It's almost... Sorry, that didn't quite work. What happened? Ah. The doctor craned his neck and saw that Kazran's hand was now firmly stuck inside the pod alongside his own. Hmm. Have you still got hold of the branch? Yes, but I can't really move. Me neither. The only thing I can do... Yeah! Yeah! yeah. Wait, what are you... The doctor kicked against the trunk of the tree and propelled himself and Kazran out into empty space. The pod still held them fast and came away from the tree attached to a thick vine like a cable. The doctor, Kazran and the pod fell for perhaps a couple of meters. Then they reached the full length of the vine. Hands still trapped in the hanging pod, they dangled high over the darkness. Oh, it's going to pull my arm from the socket. At least you'd escape. I didn't think it could be this strong. No, look! The mouth twitched where it held them. Then the leathery surface bulged out and down, swallowing more of their arms. The doctor shook his head. Oh dear. 
Looks like we're still on the menu. If we could hurry up and eat us, my arm is killing me. Don't worry. I'll think of something. I always think of something. I've got to think of something. Hang on, see? That's something. Kazran twisted round to look up into the bright canopy overhead. They were covered in muck from the trees, so were perfectly camouflaged. But now Kazran could see them, nimbly moving through the branches with extraordinary speed. Children, human children, wiry and strong. The doctor waved his free hand. Hello! Good morning! Now, I'm sure you're very wary of strangers, and you shouldn't come anywhere near to this horrid sticky pod. The children ignored him looping arms so that one girl could step off the branch and reach perilously down the yawning chasm to put her hands on the side of the pod. Her tiny fingers tickled the leathery surface. The doctor's face lit up. Oh, that's the trick of it. Of course. Doctor, I, I don't mean to worry you, but if it opens now... Oh, yes. That could be a problem. The doctor stretched his free hand out towards the main trunk of the tree. There wasn't a chance he could reach it. He grinned up at the acrobat children. Don't think we're not extremely grateful. But the small girl continued to tickle the pod, and its mouth twitched and puckered. No, no, don't, don't, wait, wait! The girl grinned at him with green teeth. The pod smiled too. Wait, no! Oh no! Freed from its grip, the doctor and Kazran fell into the dark. Kazran was sore and tired as he climbed. The hand the pod had chewed was now bruised and swollen, but he tried to keep up with the doctor, who had reached the TARDIS and was now depositing their jackets and shoes. You stay in the ship if you like, Kazran. I won't be very long. I'm sure these kids can lead me to whatever sent the signal. Yeah, thanks. That would be good. What? You insist on coming along? All right. Very funny. Let me help you. We can't disappoint the children. Above them, a child jabbered impatiently, gesturing upwards into the higher, brighter-lit branches. The other children made the same gesture. All right, we're going as fast as we can. You understand them? Just the general tone and gestures. The TARDIS should translate. It's more emotive noise than specific meaning. Proto-language, if I remember my poo-poo from my ding-dong. Oh, well, I don't think the TARDIS is translating you, either. Poo-poo <sighs> and ding-dong. From Muller's origin of language, one's a theory that words evolve from simple interjections, so expressions and frustrations become hurry up, and the other is... I can't remember. So these are early humans, from before we had words? And while you were still in the trees. Except no, you must be somewhere else. There were never any trees this big on Earth. We climbed for miles. Oh, they're getting away from us. Hang on! We're trying to keep up! Why are we following them? They nearly killed us. They knew we'd fall inwards towards the trunk, not straight down. So we hit the next lot of branches. But it still hurt. Who are they? Did they send a distress signal? I'm hoping to find out. Climb! Kazran gave the TARDIS one last, fond look, and then followed the Doctor. <sighs> there was only the climbing branch by agonizing branch. Sweat poured from Kazran as he forced his way on. The doctor was just ahead of him. Still with us? Weirdly, it's getting easier. As you get used to it. Not a chance. But the branches up here have been woven into almost... Well, it's not a staircase, but it's easier to climb. 
They spend more time up here where the light is better and food is more abundant. Food? There's only leaves and, and creepy crawlies. Uh, that's what you eat when there's nothing else. Ugh. Then they live in the tree. I mean, permanently. You can see it in their muscles and the way they move. They've never walked on the ground. But why? Where are their parents? Can't you see them? What? Where? All around us. Watching. Kazran looked but couldn't see. No, there they were. They were caked in green and brown so they blended in. But the adults were wiry and strong like the children. Their eyes shone bright with intelligence. Um, how do you do? Embarrassed by what they must make of his climbing, Kazran forced his way on. The doctor hauled himself onto a wide, gently curving branch and sat grinning. Ah, nothing like a bracing workout. Then Kazran emerged from the foliage beneath. <laughs> no, no, no more. I can't climb anymore. He slumped in a heap by the doctor, but the curve of the branch meant he rolled a little and ended up on his back. He didn't care. He lay there. Then he opened his eyes. Oh, my. They were lying under a village, perhaps a city. Globular wicker structures hung like fruit from myriad branches. Each structure was the size of a small house, like ones Kazran had seen in the understreets back home. They were nests. Nests for people. A whole city of nests in a giant tree. Grubby people emerged from them, as the doctor noted. Watch out. Reception committee. Or bouncers. Your name's not down, so you'll have to leave. <laughs> Kazran followed the doctor's lead, sitting up but not standing, presenting themselves as exhausted from the climb and no kind of threat. Three figures skittered down the vines and branches to join them. They were adult humans but looked so utterly alien. The two men wore jerkins and shorts, the same brown-green as their skin. One of the men lunged forward at the doctor. The man's hair and beard were caked with blue ungent. He was right in the doctor's face, bearing his jagged green teeth. But the doctor beamed back. Good morning. I like the earring. The sprocket from a zero-G toilet. The blue-bearded man stepped back, slapping at the air in a threatening way. But still the doctor didn't flinch. The woman now came forward. She had black and green muck in her hair and lines of black and green across her face, a pattern like the leathery skin of the pod. She wore the tattered remains of a spacesuit. You, from the darkness, come. The doctor was delighted. You talk, oh, brilliant, I'm a talker too, always talking. We're gonna get along just fine. We must seem a bit odd looking, but I assure you we're friendly. Got your distress signal, thought we'd try to help. Uh, we might be a bit late. Then they did send the signal. This nice lady is wearing what's left of a Harak All Happenstance suit. Meant to survive just about anything. The patent is fiercely protected, so you only ever get them on Macarface ships. But Macarface went bust, ooh, 400 years before where we are now. Sad, really, poor Carl. But his legacy is a hundred colonised worlds. They're colonists from Earth. How did they end up here? I think the nice lady might be about to tell us. Come on, I know it must have been a while, but you can speak to us, can't you? He held out his hands to her. She took them in her own gnarled and ancient fingers. The doctor gazed kindly into her eyes. I'm the doctor. This is Kazran. Do you have a name? I 
I'm called Awkward. All the best people are. Hello, Awkward. I don't think you're old enough to have been there yourself, but perhaps you know the story. How did your people get here? Before there was the tree, we climbed through the darkness in nests made of smoothness and light. She means a spaceship, doesn't she? Yes, and don't interrupt. Awkward, why did your people leave the darkness? There was many made dead. The tree offered life. But we were children from the dark and did not know how to live. The tree feasted until we blended with its branches. Now we are the ones who feast. So, the many made dead, they fled some catastrophe, they found the tree. The tree feasted means those horrible pods. Until they learned to live in harmony with the other life here. That trick with the tickling, very good. I don't think they want to be rescued. You don't, do you? You don't want me to take you away from the tree? No, just checking. Really awkward. This is... well... It's turning nasty. Oh, God. They're throwing smelly fruit. Ow! Hard smelly fruit. Let's not hang about. All right, point taken. We're sorry to have imposed. We'll be off now, back to our own nest of smoothness and light. You know, I think that suits her. We'll just clamber back down to where we parked. No! The people of the tree were cowed by Awkward. She wagged a gnarled finger at the doctor. He took a step back. Really, we've taken up too much of your time as it is. But Awkward would not be fobbed off. You must not unclimb. In the dark lives the many made dead. Well, she won't let us go back into space. She can't keep us here. No, it's not that. Your young ones, they came to our rescue. But they were extremely eager that we climbed more quickly. You mean there's something down there? Worse than the pod? What is it? Tell me, Awkward. Those who try to see, they are lost from the branches. Well, it looks like you really do need our help. This thing no one can look at. I should probably have a look, see if I can't fix it. But Awkward took his arm. You cannot go. You cannot go alone. They were climbing again. The blue-bearded man with the earring led the other tree people swiftly down the branches. Kazran and the doctor once more struggled to keep up. Climbing down is harder. The climbing is all right. It's the not falling that's difficult. Although we get down that much more quickly. You could have stayed up in the nests. With everyone wondering how I could be such a coward. So you're here because of what they might think. It's the same with this lot, isn't it? You're eager to see what's down in the dark, so now they all want to show they're not scared. But no. It's... It's the right thing to do, isn't it? These people need our help. The doctor grinned at him. You know, you're growing up nicely. Hmm. My father doesn't think so. Oh, I'll need a wash and a clean set of clothes before I dare let him see me. He can be quite hard on you. He has to be, given his position. He's firm but fair. But you worry you don't meet his standards. Well, the older I get, no. You needn't be like him. It's good to be you. He's still my father what he thinks, what he is. That will always be a part of me, won't it? 
I'm afraid so. They continued their descent down through the branches into increasing darkness. That's Bluebeard and the others. Something's wrong down there. It's... Oh, Look out! Oh, yuck! Skittering up the branch towards them was a mass of life. Scarlet bugs, bright blue creepy crawlies, yellow things like caterpillars as long as Kazran's arm. Clacking, clattering, they surged up over him and the doctor. Oh, no! Get them off! Let them go! Let them go! They don't want anything with us. They just want to get past. He was right. The creatures hurried over Kazran's body and continued up the branch. They really don't like whatever is down there. Doesn't look like it. It must be something really bad. Oh, it smells like... I, I don't know, fish guts from the market. It wasn't like this when we were here before. Or we were too busy with the pot to notice. But look at the leaves. Kazran stopped to examine the nearest foliage. The wide leaves were speckled with scarlet. Blood? Or it could be rust, except that trees can't be metal. Who says? We don't know the biology here. No, don't touch! What, you think a leaf might eat me? I think something's badly wrong. That stink, the cloying darkness. From the poorly lit branches below, faces emerged. The tree people were clearly agitated. What are they saying? They didn't like the bugs crawling over them either. And I think they're annoyed that we stopped. All right, tell Bluebeard we're coming. They climbed, but as Kazran and the doctor made careful progress down the branches, the tree people dashed nimbly about them. They yabbered and gesticulated frantically. I'm going as fast as I can. It's not like I grew up here. See? I almost fell. You're pushing me too fast. More tree people emerged from the depths. Almost all the group they'd come down with. They yabbered at the ones who'd been yabbering at Kazran. An argument broke out. No need to argue. Someone will get hurt. I think that was Bluebeard. Um, was that his way of saying shush? The tree people all stared in horror down into the dark. None of them dared move any further. The doctor pushed past them. He needs help. He climbed, hand under hand, down into the darkness from which the scream had come. But a tree person hurried after him and grabbed his arm. The woman was shaking, her face pitiful with fear. Please, you know him. He needs us. Doctor, whatever's down there, it's worse than the pod. Look at their reaction. Bluebeard needs help, and I need to know what we're dealing with. If it's something he can't deal with, what use will we be? That's not the attitude. Besides, the TARDIS is down there somewhere too. Well then, let's get moving. He and the Doctor descended slowly. The woman who tried to stop the Doctor joined them, and a small number of the others. The rest remained where they were, watching anxiously from the higher branches. That's reassuring. The doctor peered into the dark. Carefully, Kazran. Slowly. Bluebeard! What's that? It was hard to see in the gloom below, but the gloom was... writhing. Insects. They're swarming. Same as before, fleeing something beneath them. The doctor pointed. Now Kazran could see it. Beyond the fizzing, seething insects was an inky, glistening darkness. It's like a sea of oil. The TARDIS must be in there. There's someone in it. There! He was right. A body lay face down in the oily surface,
bobbing gently under a branch. Bluebeard. I'm sorry, Doctor. I don't think he can be alive. We should still be sure. The Doctor clambered down into the swarming cloud of insects. Ow! Ow! Ugh. I've been bitten! Ah. I'm being eaten alive! And me. Get back up. Ow! I'll get Bluebeard. Doctor, there's no way! Ow. Look! The oil slicked smoothly over Bluebeard's body. The Doctor tried to hurry down. The oil is rising, and he's pinned in place by the tree if we don't get to him quickly. But the body was gone. The gelatinous oil softly steamed. You couldn't have done anything. It had already killed him. But how? Did it grab him? All these insects, the biting, he might have lost his grip, fallen in and drowned. But the steaming... From his pocket, the doctor produced a coin. He flicked it expertly into the air. The coin caught the light, arcing up and over and down towards the dark sea. It landed slap on the surface. Then the oil closed over it. It burned with a green-blue flame before it disappeared. Doctor? The doctor looked up at Kazran. To Kazran's horror, his friend's face and neck were covered in livid pink bites. We really should go. The doctor nodded, and they started to climb back up towards the light. The people assembled in the branches and vines around their nests. Awkward, the woman in the tattered spacesuit, sat cross-legged beneath them, brooding. The doctor and Kazran, both very bitten, clung to an adjacent branch. It made it harder for the doctor to make his point. We can find out what the oil is. Perhaps it's not toxic or we can stop it rising, but it is rising and fast. Please, Awkward, as a precaution, get everyone to climb. Awkward stared away, down into the darkness. Kazran followed her gaze. There was no sign through the branches of the rising oil, or insects, but the thought of them coming made his skin itch. Awkward twisted round to glare at him, but it wasn't the scratching that offended her. It was all the bites. She glanced up to her people, hanging from the branches above. Wiry, strong men, women and children, all waiting on her response. We follow the food that runs to the light. The mothers and young will ascend. The doctor wasn't happy. Awkward, please. Everyone should climb. All will climb. But the old have purpose. Despite her wizened features, she clambered swiftly away from the doctor. As she climbed, she gesticulated to those around her, encouraging them upwards. The tree people took up her call, echoing it, spreading it. Soon the whole population was moving. They're going. They're all going. That's a relief. But the old have purpose. Awkward! What does that mean? But Awkward was too far and too busy to heed him. Are we going with them? He'd rather face the gloop. We need to recover the TARDIS. I mean, you'll probably want to. It's your ship. Oh, don't worry, we'll get her out. Somehow. Perhaps it's like a tide. The oil washes up and then drops away again. If that happened all the time, this lot would treat it like the pod, something they're used to. This is new. The doctor gazed at him with a strange smile. Kazran flushed. What? The doctor shrugged. You're getting rather good at this. <laughs> so if it is a tide, it's a really slow one. I might not live to see it go out again. I promise you, Kazran, I'll get you home. You'll see Abigail again. There, see? A smile. 
So, we need to know what we're dealing with, which means a better look at the oil. Now these people are moving up into safety, I can conduct a proper examination without anyone else getting hurt. I think it might be too late. Is that rain? Is it raining? Oh! It burned me! The rain is burning! Doctor! Doctor, wait! But the doctor was already climbing. It's oil. There's oil above us too. By the time Kazran reached him, the doctor was examining the pink blotches on the arm of a young boy. They're not burns as such. The oil can't be that acidic. It must be full of something like salt, which irritates the skin. So the oil won't kill us? Tropics like this will just be uncomfortable, but you wouldn't want to go for a dip. But how is it up here? And why did the rain suddenly stop? Because we did. Look. He pointed to the branch beside the boy with the blotchy arm. It was spattered with rivulets of oil, which had split the bark. No, Kazran realised... It's leaking from the tree. So it's not oil. But tree sap. The bark is softening, so as we climb we break it open and out comes the sap. Which is bad news for anyone beneath us. So, what? We're stuck here? Doctor? What? He was looking across to a nearby branch where Awkward stared back at him sadly. The doctor slowly nodded. The old have a purpose. They hang back, let the mothers and children go first so that they're spared. While the old get rained on. If it only irritates the skin. It does when it's just a few droplets. But all these people and all that way they have to climb. Every foot and handhold opening up more of the bark. But there was no one climbing in the lower branches. The sap down there must have leaked out anyway. So even if we tread carefully... We're still facing a deluge. <sighs> How bad is it going to be? I think Awkward already knows. The woman nodded her head and let out a pitiful moan. <laughs> then... Then this has happened before. A long time ago. Maybe generations, but the story, what must be done, was handed down. If we are all to climb, the longest lived climb last. How do you know it was long ago? Because the tribe is thriving. They've had time to replenish, restock. The last time this happened, they were almost wiped out. Because of the sap? And whatever else is up in the higher branches. The doctor was watching awkward. She stared sorrowfully back. They had to be ordered to climb up here. So they all know it isn't safe. But the sap is a surprise. So whatever it is they're expecting, it's something else. And awkward wasn't handed down a story about how to survive it. What do we do? I wish I knew. But this is awkward's home, her people, her tree. Awkward? All will climb. But the old have purpose. They climbed. The mothers and the young went first. They tried to move gingerly, softly. But the bark was soft, and even just brushing it could open a glistening seam. The dreadful rain spattered down on the older members of the tribe, who lingered in the lower branches, climbing only slowly. They were still faster than the doctor and Kazran. Use the leaves. 
Cut the longer ones, then wrap them round your hands. I need my fingers free to climb. It eats through the leaves. It wasn't rusty at all before, but burn marks. It's still better than nothing. Ow! Come on! No stopping! He scooped an arm round an elderly tribesman who had rolled himself up in a ball, oily droplets all over his back. I won't lose anyone else. What now? Awkward came scrambling over to them, eyes wide with concern. The doctor hurried to meet her. What is it? What's up there? She pointed urgently upwards. Go! Go! All right, I'll go. Kazran? I'm coming with you. Good. Come on. Kazran had to squint. The higher they climbed, the brighter it got. The leaves up here shone yellow, white and silver. But it wasn't just the light. Kazran's eyes and nose were streaming. The stench was almost as overpowering as the noise. Ugh, yuck! He'd put his hand, his weight, on the snail and crushed it. Pink and scarlet caterpillars skittered over to feast on the sticky remains. So, this is where the bugs from below got to. The whole place is teeming. Ahead of him, the doctor was trying to shake off a large, ugly beetle that had attached itself to his wrist. It's too crowded up here, so they're fighting for space, for survival. That means eating one another, and now, taking chunks out of me. He dislodged the beetle onto an adjacent branch. Wings emerged from the beetle's carapace, and it launched itself back at the doctor. Whoa! He dodged and almost fell, but the beetle missed him and smacked into the branch. A dollop of oily tree sap smeared over the back of the beetle. Steaming, squealing, it fell away into the darkness. The sap killed it. It didn't do it any good, poor thing. Come on! They climbed, and the branches were ever more crowded with creatures. Things like huge dragonflies preyed on things like huge earwigs. The tribe of tree people, the women and children, fended off bugs as best they could. A man grappled with an enormous centipede, its sharp mandibles clawing towards his face. The doctor reached out, and his fingers brushed the man as he and the centipede tumbled out of sight. The poor soul. Awkward and the others might catch him. We have to help the people up here. How? Doctor, the sap. Use the sap, the oil. Squeeze the bark. It'll irritate your skin, but it'll get rid of the creatures. They did as he said. They smacked their palms against the branches and glistening sap bled out. It hissed and steamed and dripped down the tree. It hurt. It steamed where it touched bare skin, but on the bugs it cracked shells and melted soft flesh. The creatures hurriedly withdrew, scurrying away to lower branches. That's not good news for the people below us. They'll see why the creatures are fleeing. They'll know what to do. Keep climbing! Above them, one of the tree people started to shout. Oh, what now? All right, let's see. He and Kazran scrambled forward. The tree people dodged out of their way to let them pass. The silvery branches glared so bright that Kazran had to use one hand to shield his eyes. But the doctor stared ahead in wonder. Pots. Hundreds of pots. They filled the space ahead. Big pods, small pods, perfectly round and more tapered. Some were just like the one that had captured Kazran and the Doctor before. Others were clearly different species. Running over them and around them was a mass of creatures. There's no way past them. Doctor? 
But the doctor continued to stare at the pods in the writhing menagerie, a strange smile on his face. Do they eat the creatures, or the creatures eat them? At the moment, neither. The creatures make the pods. They're eggs. He pointed to where a winged spider-like thing stepped away from a freshly laid pod. As the spider moved away, sap dripped from a branch above onto its gossamer wings. The burning spider fell away into the branches below, but the drips also hit the egg it had just laid. The hard, leathery surface steamed, but was otherwise unharmed. These aren't like the ones from before. They're all newly laid, hundreds, thousands of them, because the creatures know what's coming. They can't save themselves, but their young will survive inside these things. That's horrible and brilliant at once. Life finds a way, Dr. Malcolm. But we can't climb any further. We'd get stuck like before. Oh, it's never good when you have that smile. You said the pods were brilliant. Do they know not to open until the danger's passed? A doctor, wait! But the doctor was already climbing headlong into the vast clutch of pods. Creatures skittered and slithered over him as he got close. A beetle bit into his shirt cuff, but the doctor ignored it. Carefully, gently, he reached out a hand to the nearest pod. It was about the size of a hen's egg, with a shell of purplish hide. He tapped it with a finger. It didn't respond. So far, so not grabbing me. It still didn't do anything. So the doctor hauled himself forward, clambering over the layers of pods. He tried to step round them, not to touch them, but they filled every nook of the branches. As he pushed through, they closed round him. Swollen, leathery balloons bigger than his head pressed against his body. Kazran? Oh, don't worry, I'm definitely staying put. That's what you were going to say, isn't it? Well, stay if you want. I won't force you. <sighs> All right. He followed the doctor, trying to take the same handholds and steps. The pods leered at him with their closed-lipped smiles. They were greasy and slick. Sap drizzled over them in the branches, burning his bare hands and feet. He clung on, a little dizzy or nauseous. His eyes were watering. As he pushed through and continued after the doctor up the branch, the light was suddenly dazzling. He wasn't sure he could go on, but the doctor called back to him in wonder. Oh my. Kazran, take a deep breath. You won't want to miss this. Kazran pushed through a layer of dry white leaves and found himself staring out into the void. Instinctively, he clutched the branch tightly, as if he might fall out into the limitless blackness. For all the scale of the tree, it had been enclosed, claustrophobic. Here, he looked out on infinity. Around Kazran, dry white leaves stretched off into the distance, perhaps for many miles. The doctor was marvelling at it too. They were at the very top of the tree, and it was utterly enormous. Away in the distance, a star burned far too bright for Kazran to look at directly, but it seemed larger than the sun as seen from Earth, the few times Kazran had been there. As his eyes grew accustomed to the awesome spectacle, Kazran could see things in the dark. A diffuse band of light and colour was weaving overhead. He watched, transfixed, as this strange ribbon coursed ever closer. The colours of the rainbow glinted through what Kazran at first took to be tiny bubbles. No, they were translucent wings. 
It was a swarm of creatures like the flying spider thing they'd seen before. Thousands of them streaming through the vacuum of space and heading for the train. They crashed through the canopy of leaves, dodging Kazran and the Doctor, who started to laugh in delight. <laughs> Look at them go! That is amazing! <laughs> Kazran couldn't breathe. He grasped at his throat. He tried to wave at the Doctor, get his attention. But the Doctor was too busy being awestruck by the sky. The darkness was all-consuming. It had swallowed Kazran entirely. Kazran opened his eyes. They hurt. All of him hurt. His face felt raw. His muscles ached terribly. His ribs were still bruised from when he'd fallen off that first branch. But he was alive. He was still lying on a branch in the rich greenery of the tree. He tried to sit up, but his aching body barely responded. Then there were hands on him, helping him. It was the woman in the spacesuit, awkward. Darkness bites from our mouths. Yes, yes. It, it, it took a bite from me. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe because there wasn't any air. Then there was the doctor scrambling up a branch to join them. Oh, there's an atmosphere, just not as rich as here under the canopy. The white leaves must be saturated by exposure to space. Should have thought of that, sorry. The doctor fussed round Kazran, checking his pupils, his bruises, his limbs. No harm done, honestly. I'm the doctor, thank you. Can you move? No, no, not really. Well, you need to. I've sent the others back down to their city of nests. They're between the rising sap below and the million hungry insects above. But in the nests, they're safe. Not really. For the moment, till we think of something else. Come on. With the doctor's help, Kazran painfully shuffled backwards down the branch. His hands were so sore he could barely feel the bark under his skin all the steaming sap. That's it. Keep coming. One hand at a time, slowly, breathing deeply. Wait, wait. How, how can there be air? This tree's open to space. It's like trees on Earth. The leaves use energy from starlight to convert carbon dioxide and water into glucose. The byproduct is oxygen that you can breathe, which encourages life to take up lodgings in the branches. But, but, but there's, there's nothing to keep the air from just floating away. Well, you're not floating away either. Then there's gravity. So we're on a planet of, of some kind. Or the tree is just very, very big. Enough mass to hold on to us, the air and everything else. You can get trees that big? Well, yes, since we're in one. But I don't know the species. Oh, if we had more time. What are the roots like? Imagine. And how long does this reproductive cycle last? This what? It's a working theory. The tree orbits that star, but the orbit is eccentric. There's nothing wrong with that. An eccentric orbit, the shape of a squished egg rather than a circle. It takes years, maybe centuries to go round. For most of that time, the tree is way out from the star. But then it comes closer. And the star now exerts tidal forces. The tree starts warming up. So the bark softens and breaks open, the sap leaks out. But if you're any kind of space insect, a warm tree is a good cosy place to lay pods. And you know when the tree is warm enough because you recognise you've evolved to respond to... I don't know, a vibration, a smell, an electrical pulse. Like a signal, uh, calling them in. The TARDIS tried to translate it and got the basic gist. I should probably have a look at her settings. There are billions of those insect things out there. They're going to keep coming, aren't they? 
They'll keep coming till the signal stops. Which isn't good news for us or these people. The insects will have to come further down the tree to find space to lay their eggs. That's not all. We need to recover the TARDIS. <sighs> yeah, I know. We need to get her back very soon. The sap is rising fast, flooding up through the branches, which means there are fewer leaves to produce the oxygen we're using. Oh. I don't know how high it'll come, but I think it's consuming the insects, using them for fuel so the tree can grow. It must be part of the cycle, a symbiotic system. At the rate it's coming, it'll force us all out into space. But if it doesn't, and there's enough air for at least some of us, there's the question of food. Because the sap swallows up all the bugs we'd otherwise eat. I was thinking more of what happens when the sap recedes and the pods decide to open. The things inside will be hungry. They'll invite us to join them for breakfast. And what's left of the tribe will be in no state to fight. Hang on, the, the tribe are colonists. What happened to their spaceship? Orc would send people out into the branches to look. You've not been able to find it. The air is thinner the further you move away from the trunk. Not everyone she sent out looking for the spaceship made it back. Oh. It wasn't your fault, Doctor. <laughs> really. There isn't anything else. Okay. Okay, so, so how do we recover the TARDIS? This is the bit you're not going to like. Sap fell heavily like rain on the hanging wicker nests of the city and the tree. It burned holes in the structures, singeing the people huddled inside. Kazran and the doctor were gathering long coils of vine like rope. Awkward watched the two men work. She helped with the vines, but her eyes were downcast in despair. She thinks this plan is crazy, but she does have a point. We can't just loop this into the oil and fish out the TARDIS. Neither you nor they have my experience in fishing, and they've all grown up scared of the dark, the danger lurking beneath them. Their parents instilled it as they'd had it instilled into them, because somewhere, however many generations back, this happened before and they barely survived. Awkward is terrified to her bones of this rising sea, but she's still coming with us, aren't you? Awkward hesitated and looked up at the nests all around her. We are lost when we enter the dark, and we are lost anyway. That's the positive attitude. How are you doing? Kazran, test it with the sap. Right. Kazran had been coiling individual strands of vine into a thick cable. He heaved this over to where a long drool of sap hung from one of the nests. The moment it touched the vine, the sap hissed and steamed. The vine turned blotchy red and then black. But though the surface was burned on one strand of vine, the cable remained strong. If it's just a few droplets, it seems all right. It'll have to do. Look. Beneath them, through the branches, they could see the glistening dark surface of the Sea of Sap. It slowly, inexorably rose over branches in its way. It's rising fast! We must be nearing Perihelion, the point where we're closest to the star, so the tidal forces are strongest. The cable isn't ready, and I don't really understand how to use it. It's not like fishing for sharks. Awkward dropped the vine she'd been working on to point down at the thick, inky sea. The singing eaters of flesh! Between the Sea of Sap and where Kazran and his friends were standing was the furious swarm of insects. There's lots more than before! Say hello to the entire insect population from the branches below, escaping the rising sea. Dow! They're really not happy. The insects seethed around them, and the bites were much worse than before. Kazran put his hand to his face, and his fingers came away bloody. Ah! Can't we use the sap? They're too small and too many. Dow! And this is only the topmost part of the swarm. 
Is that the... Oh, it is. It's the insects from above. A cloud of angry, seething insects descended round the nests. Awkward's tribe tried to squirt the creatures with sap, but it only made them more furious. They swarmed around the hapless people. Overwhelmed, overbitten, people fell from the branches. The bodies were soon lost to the dark, oily sea. The doctor, fending off insects himself, desperately looked around for any chance, anything at all that might help them. There's got to be something. There's always something. Ugh! We stick to the plan. We have to get through the ones below if we're going to get out of the sea and the TARDIS. Kazran and Awkward flailed as the insects swarmed round, but now the Doctor was perfectly still, staring down at the cloud of insects in the oily sea. His eyes were dark and brooding. Kazran stared in horror at his friend, his anguish at this awful, abject defeat. Then the Doctor slowly nodded and straightened his muck-spattered bow tie. This day's not getting any better, is it? Well, fine. No, 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 wait! Before Kazran could reach him, the doctor lightly stepped off his branch. He dropped like a stone headfirst through the feverish cloud of insects and dived smoothly into the Black Sea. No! The doctor's bare, grubby feet were the last to vanish beneath the surface. They burned with blue-green flame and were gone. Kazran stared in horror after his friend. The surface of the sea remained perfectly still. No, it pulled around another branch as it continued to ascend up the tree. We must go! We must go! Awkward had Kazran by the scruff of the neck and dragged him away along the branch. He didn't resist her. He allowed himself to be led as he stared down into the darkness. We climb! If not up and not down, we go outwards! There isn't any air there. There isn't any hope without the doctor. Awkward bashed him hard over the head. We climb! Up and then out! Oh, all right. All right. They climbed. They hauled themselves up out of the cloud of insects and into the soft, lush foliage. People came to their aid, strong, wiry arms reaching down to help. But Kazran could see that their eyes were all wide with fear. Children clutched tightly to grown-ups. The grown-ups were no less afraid. We climb! We all climb! They were rallied by her words, her insistence. They all started to climb, but as they did so... It was a downpour. Fat, burning gobbets of sap crashed down on them. Keep going! Get up above it! We get above it, then fan out! They fought on up the branches, but Kazran's hands were raw and slick with oily sap. He lost his grip and almost fell. But Awkward caught his arm. The look in her eye was awful to behold. She knew they were all lost. So did Kazran. He closed his eyes and waited for the end. <laughs> you have got to be joking! The doctor stood framed in the doorway of the TARDIS. He looked immaculate. Clean shirt, tweed jacket and trousers, and a bright red bow tie. Oh, is it raining? You'd better all come inside. The Doctor's long fingers danced over the controls of the TARDIS. 
His eyes were deadly serious, but he wore the most incredible grin. He still looked terribly clean. Kazran lay on the floor beside him, mucky, sore and exhausted. Around them, hanging from the gantries high and low, anywhere but the floor, were all of Awkward's tribe. They too were covered in muck and injuries, but they were all grinning wildly. You could have been killed. But I wasn't, was I? Well, and you've had time to change. There's such a thing as sartorial standards. Doctor, how bad was it? The doctor's grin faltered. I was lucky. Found the TARDIS just in time and she found me somewhere to heal. The Sisters of the Infinite Schism. Must remember them next time I'm not feeling so peachy. Couple of months of emollient, some rest and a bit of ping pong. Then I'd dash back to collect you. A couple of months? There was no other way. And I look better than any of you lot. I also had time to do a bit of research, local real estate. You know, we're not far from a very nice planet where Awkward and her friends could thrive for generations. He worked some controls and the scanner screen flickered. It now showed a cross-section of a planet engulfed by a thick layer of cloud. The labels were in the Doctor's own language, which Kazran couldn't read. Even so... That's Ember. That's home. <laughs> but Father would never allow it. He'd never know. We set them down a little before his time. When did the first Earth people arrive? We call it year minus one, but in the standard calendar, that's the 38th century. Oh, no. No, 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 no! What's the problem? These people... They can't be my ancestors. Why not? They're strong and intelligent, tenacious and brave. They give help when it's needed, which your world could do with more of. Doctor, it's, it's ridiculous! You've just helped to found your own society. I think your dad would be proud. <laughs> well, I could almost believe he would. But he can't ever know, can he? <sighs> well, you could try and tell him what happened. We'll know, you and me. And it's something for you to tell Abigail, isn't it? Ah, see? Feeling better already. The doctor, grinning with mischief, Set the coordinates to take Kazran home.
Hello, I'm Helen Goldwyn and I am the director of um, The Top of the Tree, the 11th Doctor episode from the 11th Doctor Chronicles series. With me I have Jacob Dudman, Jake Dudman as we call him. Hello. He's the narrator. Hi Jake. Hi. And we have Danny Horn, who's re revisiting the role of Kazran Sardik and we have Simon Gurrier, the, the writer. Hello. Hello. Hello everybody. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Hi. So this is the first of the 11th Doctor stories to be recorded. Jake, how has it been tackling a different Doctor? Because obviously we've done already two recordings of the 10th Doctor and this yeah. is our first of the 11th. How's that mm. been for you? Well, it's wonderful. I mean, it's been really interesting um, for me uh, as a voice actor to sort of play with the different energies of the characters. It's like uh, I can sort of think of the 10th Doctor as a as Tigger and the 11th Doctor as like a drunk giraffe. So being able to play that has been absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Um, and and Smith's voice comes more natural to me than than Tennant's. Um, so so it's been really really nice to just um, be able to not have to strain my voice so much with that and all that so that Tennant uh, brings. And it's made wonderful by a, a brilliant script. It's been my favourite script to do so far because it's more Doctor heavy. Um, and I mean to work with Danny who was so brilliant as Kazran as well has been has been fantastic and also um, the director is alright as well okay. that's good isn't it thank goodness for that ah, so uh, Danny you only appeared in uh, one Christmas special obviously the Chris A Christmas Carol back in 2010 mm. um, and you have already reappeared opposite Ian McNeese in the Churchill years but beyond that did you ever expect this character to enjoy a life beyond the TV episode no god no, I, I was just lucky uh, to have done it at all, you know, um, I, I thought it was all my sort of dreams come true doing that first episode of Doctor Who. But you know, I I heard about these uh these audio versions, these big finished things, and and everyone kept mentioning them. You got to do one. You got to do one. I just didn't think it was possible for for the character because he has a future. I thought if you go back and sort of fiddle with his life too much, the future will change and the episode will change. And I thought I was sort of stuck. But mm. no, these these endlessly inventive writers keep. Offering these, uh, you know, these stories, where, uh, you know, and and there's there's so much fun, and it's it's so lovely to be able to explore different parts of of a character that, well, I suppose I thought I'd said goodbye to over seven years ago now. So. Wow, seven years. I know, isn't it? Wow. Terrifying? Hey, Jake, how old were you seven years ago? Um, I was twelve. You, I can't. <laughs> Even. But which is why, I mean, a, a, as a fan, as a fan of the show and as a fan of that era of Doctor Who, it's it's wonderful to see the Doctor and Kazran reunited because well, yeah. they had such a wonderful relationship and it was so terribly short that I'm just thrilled for the fans that Kazran can come back. So kind of following on from that, what is the dynamic between Kazran and the 11th Doctor? I mean, how would you describe it, both of you? The, the, way, mm. I, the way I see it, and I talked to Matt, and the director Toby Haynes back in 2010 about this was Kazran was in need of an alternate father figure and the doctor mm. saw that and and in visiting him every year to give him something good something that can you know counteract the uh the, the year of, of 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 merciless kind of tyranny that his dad would offer onto mm. him the doctor gives him a chance to be creative and 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 to push himself in a new way and, and to see the wonders of the world and, and connect with himself and, and fall in love with Abigail. And so for me, it, it, it's nice to just sort of bathe in that part of the story, which we didn't get to look at very much in the original episode. Yeah. Course, yeah. And uh, 
I think Kazran doesn't have many friends because I don't think he's allowed to. So mm. I think the Doctor is a best friend, um, a sort of a mentor and a, and a dad all rolled into one for him, really. Wonderful. Mm. Um, and so, Danny, obviously you're not working with Matt on this occasion, but you're Well, you could have fooled me. Maybe <laughs> yeah. with someone who is emulating Matt. How does that feel? Yeah, well, I was really uh, excited about it. I um, I, I researched Jake's stuff um, and I was sort of blown away by, by the work oh, he was doing. Thanks, dude. Especially with the Doctors. Um, I saw he did this fantastic thing. You must check it out on YouTube called... Was it called the the uh, curator or something? Mm, yeah, the the great curator. The great curator, yeah. which um, he does. Not only does he just do the most perfect impressions of both uh, Matt Smith's Doctor and David Tennant's Doctor, they've got real uh, gravitas, and I suppose that's why it, it's such a smart choice to get him in to do this, is because he doesn't just do a sort of funny impression like you'd get on Dead Ringers. It's actually got weight to it. He's he's performing it as an actor, not just as an impressionist. So oh. it's been fantastic. It's, I really, I feel like. It, it, I just, you know, it didn't. It was so easy. It made my job very easy because I just <laughs> felt like Matt Smith was in the booth next door. There you go. Thank That's you very the much. Praise, very isn't it? kind. Thank Even you. now, I still. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like just Matt Smith's over there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Simon, how easy was it to write for the Eleventh Doctor away from his standard companions? I because mean, I, I was given the Doctor and Kazran. I just watched Christmas carol again mm. and you know mm. that's quite a lot of my work just sat watching dvds with a <laughs> cup of tea and a notebook mm. and there's a whole section in the middle where um you get a sense of all these other adventures that we we see photos of kazran and abigail at the pyramids and things like that there's this sense that there are all these stories we're not told mm. so actually it's quite easy to tell stories about things that we didn't see um i uh, I picked up on uh, what Danny said about the sort of father-son relationship, the idea that the, the Doctor's not just a father, I think he's also trying to be a teacher mm. as well and to show uh, Kazran how, you know, to, to take uh, a sense of wonder out of the universe and, and things like that. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking about how the Doctor's kind of encouraging him to uh, explore and put things together and deduce how things are working as, as they're going around and stuff and encouraging him to take risks and to be braver and things like that. That definitely um, comes through in this script, I think. Mm, oh, yeah, it really does. We talked about it as we were recording, didn't we, about what his role was to to um, the character, to Kazran. Um, and in t this is quite a different story because it doesn't have a, a baddie in it or, a you know, it doesn't have a another species that's trying to destroy the other species. It's just sort of very instinctive nature functioning within it. So how did you come up with this idea, Simon? Well, it came from two things. Again, the sort of practicalities. If I knew it was going to be two actors, uh, one of whom Jake was going to be narrating and playing the Doctor... Uh, which is quite an ask in itself. So, I, you know, I was thinking, well, I could, I could get Danny to play a villain, and you know, and have that going on, or, or because what you're, what I was kind of conscious of is trying to hide the fact that there isn't a spoke, a speaking villain here. So, um, and then I thought, well, actually, uh, I'd interviewed um, Stephen Moffat uh, a couple of months ago, but he talked before about not you know his his thing of not believing in evil for evil's sake and he sort of shies away from kind of the cliche of villains and and bad baddies so i was thinking well maybe I'll, I'll present them with something that's not a baddie that it's it's an environment that they go into that's dangerous and then i was just thinking what's the sort of what's a big idea what what is a distinctive idea that you can imagine easily because it's on audio so the listener has to do the work um and i came up with the idea of a tree yeah 
Mm. Um, and in the script, there's a lot of climbing up and down yeah. <laughs> this enormous tree, unfathomably huge tree. Um, and that takes quite a lot of physical effort in <laughs> the studio, doesn't it? Does How has it? that affected you guys, Danny and Jake? I wouldn't have noticed well, Occasionally that you pass it. out, but you just pick yeah. yourself up again, <laughs> figure out where you are, and you get on with it because we are actors doing a job. Yeah. God, you're such a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's a shame that the listeners can't see us in the booths. <laughs> pretending to climb up. Yeah, scrabbling around. Scrabbling like around, you're like crazy. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> I certainly can say that it's been a fantastic day. I think uh, we've had a week of fantastic days with um, with Jake in the studio and it's wonderful to have uh, had the opportunity to work with you as well, Danny. And Simon, thank you for a, a really exciting and unusual script as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, so, thank you all. No, thank been, you so been much. A, yeah, yeah, it's been a jolly old time. Fantastic. Well, thanks everybody for listening and uh, you'll be hearing more from us soon. Bye.